0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights. I want to thank my sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's uh, an episode for your
1: listening enjoyment. You grew up a Pittsburgh fan. Who was the greatest pirate outside of Clemente? And who was the most underrated pirate of all time? I ask you this because I am right now finishing up the top 100 players of all time, Joe Posnansky's book from a couple of years ago.
0: Joe Posnansky used to write for us. You know that?
1: Oh, I did not when know. He
0: that. was when he was in college or just finishing high school.
1: I don't agree with the list, but it's a good audiobook.
0: He's an excellent writer. Yeah. Okay, so Clemente is my favorite by far. If I look at pirate icons, I think Wagner in the industry is shortchanged for a weird reason. His card is so dominant, his T206, that people forget that he was possibly the best player in baseball before Cobb came along. And then maybe Cobb was for a while, and then Ruth was. I think Wagner could have been the best baseball player in his prime at that point. And so I think he doesn't get as much respect as he should. Oh, he's got this card. And Stargell is growing on me. Willie Stargell is growing on me. I think he was more of a leader in the clubhouse than I thought. He just was a big guy. And I just thought he was a slugger. But I think he was a sensitive leader, too. So I'm respecting that. It's funny how... There are no pitchers. I <laughs> can't come up with any good pitchers. That Did were,
1: you have a John Candelaria early in his Candyman career? Candyman
0: was pretty awesome. When he was at his peak, Yeah, he was unhittable by lefties, I think. He was coming almost all the way over to first base to come in across your body. I was a lefty hitter. I wouldn't have wanted to face him.
1: And uh, uh, I don't know if I'd put him as an all-time great, but he might have one of the all-time great nicknames.
0: He had a window. Too, a window oh, where uh, there were. Uh, you know. By the way,
1: Wagner was a great answer because I think people forget he was a pirate. Not only I
0: think he was always a pirate,
1: but do you, you think he, the hobby associates him with that?
0: They just associate him with the card, as if it's like an error card or McGee, Sherry, Maggie, or and even Eddie Plank is a T206. two six. But Plank was the second best picture, not the best, but right up there.
1: You talk about underrated. I didn't even think of Wagner when I asked the question. Yeah. That's how underrated.
0: I did that episode about 48, 49 Leaf. And they said, what's Wagner doing in there? Wagner probably had just been elected or was recognized as one of the very top players of the first half of the 20th century. Now, I'm sure Ruth was number one, but Ruth and Wagner were in the Leaf set even though Wagner was a coach by that time for the Pirates. I know exactly where it was in 1960. I liked all the guys, but really Clemente was just the dominant. When my dad and my brother and I went to Forbes Field, we'd sit in right field. We just wanted to be around Clemente. The other guys were fine. They were gritty. And it was a whole team effort. But Barry Bonds, by the time he got to the Pirates in the mid, late 80s, the Pirates, some of the luster had been lost. And then when they disbanded from Bonds and Bonilla left, and they just had a dark spell for 20 years. Barry Bonds is not even a distant second to Clemente. I think Barry Bonds is a phenomenal athlete. With or without PEDs, the guy did amazing things. He still got to hit the ball.
1: He was great at Arizona was, State coming out. here.
0: He was great. He could do it all. So I'll stick with Wagner and, yeah, I think Wagner. And Stargell doesn't get enough respect, but Clemente could do it all. Wagner had a lot of power. Clemente had a lot of power, but it doesn't look like it because they don't have the big home run totals.
1: Well, I believe Wagner was one of the higher vote totals in the initial Hall of Fame induction. They had the two votes before the actual induction. And I think Wagner received more votes than Ruth. I could be wrong, but it'd be interesting to take those votes. In the pre-vote? In in the the first two votes before they opened the actual museum, they had the double class. And Ruth was behind several of those other players in the actual writers voting. I think Cobb was number one, actually. And I'd be curious the correlation between the writers voting from the 30s and the cards today and how we look at them. Because Wagner, you're right, back then, I think, had a lot more respect.
0: Yeah, no, Wagner was amazing defensively and offensively stealing base. He looks like just kind of a, a plotter. When you look at him, he had huge hands. I don't think he even played with a glove. His hand was that big. I'm saying. I yeah. he didn't need a glove. And the gloves were not big anyway. The gloves were just glorified like a leather glove that was like a glove glove, not a baseball glove, but a driving glove or
1: something. Oh, I have thicker winter mittens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Going back to the widow. The widow says, you know what? My husband was older. He had these cards and we don't have that much money. But we've got these cards, and so Danny, I need you to help maximize the money for this collection. So get top dollar, and I want you to do it over the next five years. What do you say to the widow who wants you to be an indentured servant for five years to sell what is probably a nice collection, but what would you say back?
1: First of all, I think I'd love to have five years to do half the work I'm given. That would actually be an interesting situation. Most times people would want to liquidate right away. Given a five-year window, typically the widow scenario involves vintage cards. So I'm probably going through, if they are raw, probably making decisions on what should be graded and helping that. I believe in vintage. Generally, I don't think there's a rush to sell. I very rarely find that you have to sell vintage right away or that you're going to miss out on some great rush. The, there's usually not that pressure it'll allow you to grade to get to put exactly. for grading bill russell passed away and literally in, in the morning of the show the news started going around some of the dealers did not change their prices other dealers changed their prices
0: I, i'm okay with them changing their prices as, as long as they don't change it after i pick the card up and say i'll take it <laughs> yeah, exactly
1: <laughs> Uh, I think the future answer is going to be, we're going to end up in a vault somewhere for five years. And I think that's probably going to be the real answer for insurance coverage. and everything.
0: So you would advise the person, let's move it all to the vault. Let me put some fixed price prices on these things and let it be dished out. And we'll adjust that over the years for the prime items. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I would certainly grade the ones that give us the value on the grading, but a lot of them I might just put away, not even put for sale right away. I might wait the market for a little while if I don't have that time pressure and li- list it at whatever I think is the prime opportunity. If the widow's not pressuring me, my job typically in that situation is a combination of commission and management fee. And I would want to make sure I'm selling both for myself and the widow at, at the top of the market. Okay. pictures are typically undervalued in baseball cards. It's a combination, I think, of injury, et cetera, et cetera. But nothing is more exciting than a young pitcher who gets called up, whether it's Fernando Mania or Dwight Goodman. So what's the disconnect between collectors' love of the pitchers themselves and the love of the cards?
0: Well, you said undervalued. I don't know. It's just what they sell for. What I tell people is that if you feel something is undervalued, then buy them up at the lower price. Just quietly go about and buy it. But uh, if you had bought all the Fernando Valenzuela's, a guy couldn't have been hotter. And that's an amazing story and really captured more than one nation. But look back now, he just was a moment in time. Dwight Gooden, same thing. He couldn't have been hotter in the beginning and then derailed. And so that would be a lesson here. And let's say 384.85, you had Strawberry, you had Mattingly, you had Gooden, and you had Clemens. Gooden and Clemens uh, are the pitchers. And even Mattingly is not huge, but it gets
1: more hobby-loved than the other guys, I think. Going back to Mark Fidrich, even, is it the flame-out? Because other than maybe- There's Coffey, the potential flame-out. There, and there's maybe 10 pitchers post-war that I think are highly sought after. Am I wrong on that? There's not
0: many. It's not a good bet in one sense. On the other hand, it depends on how you're collecting. If you're a financial collector, you better be flipping them when they have a good season.
1: I work for the Braves during Glavin, Maddox, Smoltz. All three of those to me should be fantastic cards to own. And Maddox specifically, I have a very high regard for. Way Career.
0: higher than those other guys. Even though he's just a couple years older, he's got the better cards of the three.
1: Are we going to look back in 20 years and are they going to be the Gibsons and the Ryans and those guys? Glavin and Smoltz? Maddox. uh, Maddox
0: has a chance to be... Maddox will always have a following. If I say he's the best pitcher, not a thrower, I mean, the craft of pitching, defending his position... Being an all-around smart guy, working the black part of the plate, and really a masterful craftsman as a pitcher, without being overpowering, I think that's worthy of a lot of credit. Roger Clemens just was throwing, and Ryan were just throwing flames for into their forties. You just have to have a passionate following. You can't say, "Hey, he's good." You got to say, "That's the guy I paid to go to the ballpark to see." And I think Clemens is tarnished now but Ryan was certainly like that. When he was going to be in town, attendance was up. To me, that's what correlates with the hobby. I don't think anybody was saying, hey, Harold Baines is coming to town. We better get tickets.
1: I had a friend recently who was uh, collecting with his son and they were looking for something affordable. And they were asking about all these Hall of Fame pitchers of Randy Johnson and Greg Maddox said very affordable compared to a lot of the other things in the hobby. And 20 years from now, They could be our Bob Gibsons and Nolan Ross.
0: They could be more in vogue than they are now. The hobby pecking order is not in cement. It's not amorphous. There's been some historical trends. Tennis cards were not a thing. And now all of a sudden people think, that's great. They're bidding those up. And who knows, maybe at some point in the future, bigger cards, these oversized cards will be more in vogue. Right now, you can get them way cheaper because they're just not in, in favor. And pitchers, same thing. Let's say they lower the mound and all of a sudden pitchers are getting lit up. They don't have the same advantage. So now the longevity for sure of Glavin and the versatility of Smoltz and just the overall excellence of Maddox, those guys are worthy of collecting, not just if you're a Braves, they had other teams too. But if you jump out there and say, I'm going to have a pitcher collection because I can get a lot of bang for my buck. It might be that you're rewarded in 20 years. It might be that people think pitchers are the ones. I don't think that's going to happen, but it could. Just like defensemen in hockey, defensemen are undervalued in that sense, or anybody playing on the defensive side of the ball or a three and D guy in basketball.
1: I think it is one of the ways to get kids into it and to educate them. Exactly. One the, it's one of the things I do with my kids. It's one of the things that my dad did with me as a lover of the hobby. That's a great way. If you grew up watching these guys, that's probably a good yes. thing to share. To you have share. an emotional connection. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Last
0: question. I've got a hypothetical for you because we both have to deal with ultra-modern vintage. Maybe your heart's in vintage, but the headlines frequently are the very modern cards. question, there was an ultra-modern card that just sold. It doesn't matter what it was, but it sold for six figures. So a $100,000 card. My question is, tell me the age of the person that bought it. What's the oldest you think that person could be? It's a current star. It's not an older star like LeBron or Tom Brady. It's Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or maybe that's 25 or less. So how old is the buyer?
1: I would doubt they're older than 35. You have to have enough money to be able to afford it. But I think you graduate to vintage at a certain point. And if you have that much money and you stay in the hobby long enough, I do think you end up in vintage and away from ultra modern.
0: So when the 35-year-old buys this $100,000 card and shows it to anybody older than him, they think he's nuts. If they're a collector, they try to convince them to go vintage. Because for 100000 bucks, you can buy a vintage collection of really good cards.
1: One of my pet peeves is false population creation. One of my biggest challenges with ultra-modern cards is the one of one, the one of five, the one of 10. By the time you're done adding those all up, you have the same population count you probably had originally. Vintage is the true population control. So that's where I come to a foundation of genuine population control as opposed to artificial.
0: Danny, my answer would have been 39. I have a lot of younger friends that I meet with and talk to, and they're young enough obviously to be my son. But guys, when they're hitting 40, they contemplate that they're not a kid anymore. And so thirty five, yeah, that's true too. Not only that, at thirty nine, you probably have a family if you're going to have a family. And then you, co- hey, honey, look what I brought home today. Yeah, a hundred thousand dollar Luka Doncic card. Yeah, they better I, be making I, big bucks. I,
1: I will say, with my clients, I've seen husbands get in trouble at all ages for that same conversation. I'm not saying this to be funny. I do a lot of divorce business. That's sad.
0: Yeah, we live in a complicated world and stuff happens and guys get divorced because they're more passionate about their cards than they are about their wife.